always have to wait for that uh, last thump <laughs> on the drums from the great Elvin Jones on our uh, theme song. Of course, in our theme song, people still ask about it, and I'm sure uh, regular listeners have heard it so many thousands of times, but uh, I still get uh, calls saying, uh, who is that? What is it? Where is it from? What recording is that? Can I get it? Questions like that. And, of course, it's from a very famous Blue Note recording, one of his uh, gems. He recorded about four albums for Blue Note. My favorite trombone player, Benny Green, the late, great Benny Green. And this album is considered his masterpiece, the whole album. We featured it a few years ago on the show, the whole album. It's, it's really great. Um, and, of course, has been our theme song for so many years, right since the show's inception. So the tune is called Soul Stirrin', and it was written by Benny Green and Babs Gonzalez, who plays a big part on this record, even though he's in the background. Babs Gonzalez is a vocalist, but he's also a composer, and he was one of Benny Green's best friends. So they wrote the tune, and the band and Babs Gonzalez um, sing uh, scat, the, uh, the little melody before all the horns come in and, and play it. And the people involved here, Benny Green on trombone and the first tenor saxophonist with the uh, quote uh, which everybody recognizes, <laughs> um, Gene Ammons. And the second tenor saxophone player is a, a very formidable player from Philadelphia, lesser known by the name of Billy Root. And the rhythm section is comprised of Sonny Clark on piano, the legendary Ike Isaacs on bass, and Elvin Jones on drums. And the quote uh, I was uh, uh, thinking about that Gene Ammons always plays is, of course, uh, that quote from The Flight of the Bumblebee. Uh, (laughs) He uh, inserts that on uh, on his tenor saxophone. Anyway, that's the story on, on this album, and one day we will feature the whole album again. It uh, might be overdue for a complete feature, so uh, stay tuned for that somewhere down the road. Speaking of jazz features, while well, speaking of the jazz show of which this is, my name is Gavin Walker, and uh, we're very happy to uh, have you aboard this evening. And we're here until, uh, usually till a little while after midnight every Monday with um, the very best in jazz music. Our jazz feature tonight is something special. We're going to go back in time, and actually we're going to stay that way too after the jazz feature. Uh, we're going to go back to the early 40s. We're going to go back to the what they call the swing era in jazz. And that, of course, was the, the age of big bands. And the swing era was the age where jazz music and pop music were equal. In other words, jazz music was the most popular music in, in America. And, and uh, everybody was listening to bands like Glenn Miller, Benny Goodman, Duke Ellington, Count Basie, um, all sorts of bands. And one band in particular became extremely popular, and this is the the band of our jazz feature artist, clarinetist Artie Shaw. Now Artie Shaw had a was a very very interesting human being. And most musicians are focused on their music, and uh, some of them have 
you know, personality quirks or interests outside of music and that sort of thing. Artie Shaw was truly a man for all seasons. He was an intellectual. Um, he studied mathematics. Uh, he wrote books. Uh, he was well-versed on politics. Um, in his later years, after he had stopped playing, he was a frequent guest on some of the more intelligent uh, talk shows on television. Artie Shaw was always a colorful guest because he had opinions on everything, and he didn't care whether you agreed with him or not. Very strong opinions about music, politics, world events, um, personalities, people that he knew, all this kind of stuff, and a tremendous intellect. He lived to the ripe old age of 94. And um, he was active really in the 30s. Artie Shaw um, was very much like his, I guess they were, uh, to an extent, they were rivals. Benny Goodman and Artie Shaw both played the same instrument. They played the clarinet, and they became virtuosos on that instrument. And, of course, it was always an argument, and it's carried on to this day. Who's the better clarinet player, Benny Goodman or Artie Shaw? Because the clarinet was, was really much more prominent in the swing era, and here these guys specialized on that instrument. And uh, it's still debated today um, who is the better clarinet player. They were both phenomenal musicians. Artie Shaw, like Benny Goodman, came from a, a poor, hardworking immigrant Jewish family from Russia. And uh, Benny Goodman was the same. He was born in, Benny was born in Chicago. Artie Shaw was born in New York City. And he was born uh, Arthur Jacob Arshosky. And then later on, he, he shortened his name. The family moved from New York to New Haven, Connecticut. And um, Artie, young Artie, he was just a boy, entered school there. The family opened a small business, and they were one of the few um, Jewish families in that particular uh, small city. Artie Shaw suffered tremendously. The stings, the barbs, the teasing, the razzing, the fights of anti-Semitism. And, of course, these were by his kids in school. And, of course, they learned that kind of garbage from their parents. And um, so Artie became pretty introverted, stayed by himself, and found solace in music and began to play the saxophone. He became very, very good. By the time he was 13, he was professional quality on the, on the saxophone. But he actually really fell in love with the clarinet. And he got himself one and started to work on it, practice it. And by the time he was 16, he was ready. And he packed his bags and moved back to New York City and began to um, do studio work, all kind, played in all sorts of bands, and established himself as a really, really fine musician in the very competitive atmosphere of New York. So, long about the mid-30s, Artie Shaw became a band leader. 
and formed his own band. Even his band was very different from other bands. Uh, Artie Shaw actually um, wrote a composition. He was, he was good at that stuff, good at composition and arranging, and he wrote uh, uh, a piece of music that was to become his theme song, and the piece of music was kind of a gloomy, dark piece. It was called Nightmare. And this goes against the grain of all the other bands who had sort of happy, uplifting uh, theme songs. Benny Goodman's theme song was Let's Dance. And uh, Duke Ellington's theme song, of course, was Before the A-Train, was uh, something else. Uh, all, all the bands had, had these really positive, happy theme songs. <laughs> Artie, Shaw, <laughs> Artie Shaw's theme song was Nightmare. And... Um, Someday I'll, uh, I have a recording of that. I'll, I'll, I'll play it on the show. But uh, his big band became one of the most prominent. As a matter of fact, it outshone Benny Goodman's band. Benny was considered the king of swing. In 1938, by popular demand, it was Artie Shaw that had become the king of swing. His band was far more popular than Goodman's. Uh, it was innovative. He had some major, major hits. And um, he was riding high. The only problem with Artie Shaw was that he was such an intellect, he couldn't resolve the difference between entertainment and great artistic musicianship because down deep inside, that's what he was, a great artist. And, of course, because his music was, quote-unquote, popular, People demanded the same songs over and over and over again. And, and, and somewhere in Artie Shaw's mind, he could not resolve this. He got angry. And he broke up the band. And he quit. Walked out. That's it. I, I quit the music business. And, of course, later on, he went back and reformed other bands throughout the years, uh, finally not doing it anymore. But... This was always the reason. He, he said, I can't believe the stupidity of the American public. They, they want to hear the same music over and over again. Well, it's on records. They can listen to it. Uh, you know, that sort of thing. Why do they want me to continue to play music? I want to create. I want to move. So he was caught in this kind of uh, dilemma. And it was, it was very interesting. Artie Shaw, of course, had a very interesting personal life, too, uh, which I won't get into in any great detail, other than he was married eight times. He was a very, very good-looking man. Unlike Benny Goodman, who was rather plain, Artie Shaw was an extremely handsome individual and, of course, attracted uh, the opposite sex um, and, uh, of course, uh, got into eight marriages. And you can imagine the alimony payments. Whoa. Anyway, that's, uh, that's a whole other story. But Artie Shaw was truly a man for all seasons. He wrote a book, uh, a great biographical book called The Trouble with Cinderella. It was a bestseller back in the early 50s. Um, he, was, he wrote articles for newspapers. Uh, he wrote political analysis. He wrote musical analysis. He, he was amazing. He gave up playing the clarinet in 1954. The reason for it, he said, I am a compulsive perfectionist, and I cannot ever, and he said, I know I've been acknowledged as one of the best in the world, and I appreciate that deeply, but as far as I'm concerned, I can't achieve the perfection that I want, so I quit. 
<laughs> and that's what he did. He he turned the clarinet into a lamp, and uh, and never touched it again, which is really too bad. I have his final recordings, and one day on the jazz show I will feature his final recordings. They're quite modern, and they were done in 1954 before he hung up the clarinet forever, and they're really really good. The subject of our jazz feature is not Artie Shaw's big band. We're not going to listen to this. Every big band leader of note, and I'm talking about Ellington, I'm talking about Basie, I'm talking about Hampton, I'm talking about Benny Goodman, had a small group within that big band. And they would occasionally take the small group out and perform with it. That was their kind of artistic side. The big bands were for dancing and entertainment the big show, but when these guys played with their small groups, that was really a much more artistic endeavor, and of course it, there was a lot more freedom, and they were a lot closer to what jazz is all about. Uh, solos, um, nice little ensembles, and, and freedom of improvisation. Artie Shaw was no exception, and he formed a band called the Gramercy Five, and it was known as Artie Shaw and the Gramercy Five. So it was six pieces. And unfortunately, they only recorded the, uh, about 40 minutes of music. The first session took place in 1940, and the second session was another band, a similar band with different people, in 1945. And that was the end of the Gramercy Five. They did record, uh, they did play in person, but um, that was it, and they, um, but the recordings were few. However, they were hits within these recordings, and uh, we're going to turn to that this evening, and we're going to play just about everything the Gramercy Five recorded from these two famous recording sessions. So we'll get to the music. Um, most of the compositions were written by Artie Shaw, and as I mentioned, I'll mention the ones that became hits, bestsellers. The first session took place in Hollywood, September 3rd, 1940, and, and, um, and December 5th, 1940 was the first uh, group of eight uh, pieces that we're going to hear. The first edition of Artie Shaw and his Gramercy Five. The people involved here, Artie Shaw on clarinet, the great trumpeter, Billy Butterfield, on harpsichord. This is another innovation. <laughs> harpsichord is from classical music, from Baroque music. Artie Shaw used harpsichord in, the, in this first edition of the Gramercy Five, and it's played by the great keyboard virtuoso Johnny Guarnieri. On guitar, Al Hendrickson. On bass, Jug Denault. And on drums, Nick Fatul. And we're going to hear the first eight tunes from this 1940 edition. We open with our two compositions by Artie Shaw. The first one is called Special Delivery Stomp. And the second one became a hit. And it was called the Summit Ridge Drive, dedicated to the, the street where Artie Shaw lived. Um, Tune number three is an, old, is an old obscure standard, lovely tune called Keeping Myself for You, written by Vincent Humans. And then another uh, obscure, well-chosen 
uh, standard of the day, a tune written by uh, De Silva and Janster called Cross Your Heart. Then uh, the second um, recording session from December 1940, uh, Nardi Shaw composition, tune number five, Dr. Livingstone, I Presume. Then another hit for Artie Shaw was tune number six and <laughs> with a unique title. It's called When the Quail Come Back to San Quentin. Then uh, a great old tune by Walter Donaldson, My Blue Heaven. And the final tune of the first eight is Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. And we'll take a short break and then announce the second edition of the Gramercy Five. So the first eight tunes from this wonderful band recorded, uh, as I said, in Hollywood, September 3rd and December 5th, 1940. Artie Shaw, clarinet, Billy Butterfield, trumpet, Johnny Guineri, harpsichord, Al Hendrickson, guitar, Judd Denot on bass, and Nick Fatool on drums. And we open with the special delivery stomp. Beginning of our jazz feature this evening.
the first part of our jazz feature this evening, the music of Artie Shaw and his Gramercy Five. And, of course, Mr. Shaw on clarinet, Billy Butterfield on trumpet, Johnny Guinieri on harpsichord, Al Hendrickson on guitar, Judd Denot on bass, and Nick Fatul on drums, recorded in September and December of 1940 in Hollywood. And we heard eight tunes, and we began with the special delivery stomp, written by Artie Shaw, and then a hit for this uh, little band, Summit Ridge Drive, was tune number two. And then a standard by Vincent Humans, Keeping Myself for You. And then number four is a tune called Cross Your Heart, written by De Silva and Gensler, another fairly obscure standard of the day. Then a great tune, uh, again an Artie Shaw composition, called Dr. Livingston, I presume. Then another hit for the band, When the Quail Come Back to San Quentin, written by Artie Shaw. And then a familiar standard, relatively familiar standard, was a big hit back then, My Blue Heaven, written by Walter Donaldson. And the final tune, a nice, uh, gentle, mellow version of the great old standard by Jerome Kern and Otto Harbach, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes. So that was the eight selections from the very first Gramercy Five. The second edition of the Gramercy Five was formed in five years later in 1945, and they did a series of recordings. We're going to hear them now with, with a completely different personnel, but again, the same instrumentation. So, we have Mr. Artie Shaw, once again on clarinet, leading the band. Roy Eldridge, Little Jazz, on trumpet. On piano, Dodo Marmorosa, great pianist who ended up working with Charlie Parker, wonderful modern pianist. Barney Kessel on guitar, one of the great voices of, of modern jazz guitar. Morris Raymond on bass, and Lou Fromm on drums. And these were all recorded in New York. And... Interestingly enough, although this music is pre-modern um, jazz, pre-Charlie Parker's music, there's evidence on the second edition that we're going to hear of uh, some, well, because of the musicians involved, uh, a few references to some of the developments in modern jazz, although it's still essentially small group swing. So, the tunes. Again, another hit for uh, this band, written by Artie Shaw. As a matter of fact, the first three tunes uh, from this second session, all written by Artie Shaw, were all hits for the band. They sold um, in great numbers. So the first tune is one of my favorites. It's called The Grabtown Grapple. And the second tune is called The Sad Sack. And that was a very popular expression for a person who uh, stumbles and fumbles and, and, and makes all kinds of mistakes but means well. And I'm sure we all know people like that. And um, it was also used in the Army for, for somebody who, who always wanted to do well, obey orders, but always kind of goofed. 
And so they were referred to as sad sacks. So that was a popular expression back in 1945. So that's the second tune, and that was a hit, the sad sack. And the third tune is called Scuttlebutt, again, Artie Shaw's composition. Then uh, tune number four is uh, got a strange title, again. It's called The Gentle Grifter. And uh, Grifter is kind of a con man, but... Uh, the gentle grifter. There you go. He's only going to con you about out of you uh, half your money, not all of it. <laughs> He'll leave some for you. <laughs> the um, tune after the gentle grifter is called Mysterioso, and that's another Artie Shaw composition. As a matter of fact, all the tunes here are all Artie Shaw. I just realized they're all Artie Shaw tunes, com- uh, original compositions. Uh, Mysterioso is the second to last tune, and the final tune is called Hop, Skimp, and Jump all written by Artie Shaw and all showing his incredible um, musical discipline with this great band. Once again, the personnel, Artie Shaw on clarinet, of course, uh, Roy Eldridge on trumpet, Dodo Marmorosa on piano, Barney Kessel on guitar, Morris Raymond on bass, and Lou Fromm on drums. And here we go with the Grabtown Grapple.
And that's the second half of our jazz feature this evening, Artie Shaw and his Gramercy Five, the second edition, which was recorded uh, in early 1945 in New York City. Featured Artie Shaw on clarinet, Roy Eldridge on trumpet, Dodo Marmorosa on piano, Barney Kessel on guitar, Morris Raymond on bass, and Lou Fromm on drums. And all the tunes on the second set were all composed by the one and only Artie Shaw. So we heard, we started with the Grabtown Grapple, and then we moved to the Sad Sack, and then Scuttlebutt, and then the Gentle Grifter, and then Mysterioso, and finally Hop, Skip, and Jump. And that's it for the Gramercy Five. They, that was, these were the only recordings that they made. And uh, even though the band played um, in person off and on, when Shaw did form his big band, he always took the Gramercy Five out of the big band and, of course, performed uh, a few tunes with them, much like uh, Benny Goodman did with his uh, small bands. But uh, the recording discography is um, is very short, so we heard it. Uh, we heard the complete Gramercy Five sessions. They came out on uh, RCA Victor Records uh, initially, and they were all little gems, uh, three minutes, pretty well, three minute duration, because that was what was uh, happening back in those days, in 1940 and 1945. All right, you are listening. I certainly hope you enjoyed the music, and we're going to continue with some music by a Duke Ellington small band. And we're going to kind of stay in the swing era for a little while. Later on in the show, we're going to play some very rare Dave Brubeck for you uh, with his quartet, because yesterday was the anniversary of Dave Brubeck's birth. But we'll get to that a little later on in the show. And the show being the jazz show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we have a couple of messages for you, and we shall return with Edward Kennedy Ellington and um, a small band out of his band led by a great trumpet player by the name of Rex Stewart. Become a part of a movement to think beyond conventional boundaries. The third annual AUS Humanities and Social Sciences Conference, happening on January 16th, invites all undergraduate students to submit their research related to this year's theme of innovation. At this year's conference, you will be inspired by your fellow students' presentations and ideas. Applications are being accepted until December 16th. For more information, please visit the events on the AUS Facebook page. so sad. Oh, nothing, really. <laughs> Not very convincing, Jane girl. Whatever it is, I've got just the cure for it. One, two, three, four. Did you know CITR has a women's collective? This brand new collective is all about providing and fostering a community for women who are 
or who want to be in radio, fighting the gender disparity in media, and centering women's voices and issues. If you are a female-identified person or ally who's already involved in radio or wants somewhere to start, this collective is for you. Email womenscollective at citr.ca for more information and to get involved. And tune in Friday at 6 p.m. for the collective show Lady Radio, featuring music, interviews, events, news, commentary, basically anything we care to talk about. See you then. Well, how do you like it? There's only one word for it. Terrific. You're listening to CITR 101.9 broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Back to music, and we're going to stay in the era of... Um, the early 40s. This is a little band that came out of the Duke Ellington Orchestra of the time, and the nominal leadership here was by trumpeter Rex Stewart, and it was Duke's idea to take various members of um, his big band and uh, make them temporary leaders and so that they could uh, have a little um, outlet for their creative abilities and their compositions. Rex Stewart was uh, one of the mainstays of the Ellington Band. He played the cornet, and Rex was um, an extremely um, sophisticated individual, very intelligent man, and uh, I did see some interviews with Rex. He also, uh, later on in life, wrote some uh, wonderful articles uh, for Downbeat Magazine and uh, reminisced about the Ellington Band and uh, his, his adventures in music and just the era. And his writing style was, uh, was absolutely superb. And I really wish that um, Mr. Stewart had lived long enough to actually write a book um, because he was an extremely uh, erudite and uh, intelligent individual and also a great trumpet player or cornet player. And a composer as well. Now, this band consisted of um, Rex on cornet, Lawrence Brown, the deacon, on trombone, the great Ben Webster on tenor saxophone, Harry Carney on baritone saxophone, and on piano, Duke Ellington. On bass, the pioneer of modern jazz bass and the influence on Mingus, Oscar Pettiford, and Ray Brown, the real guy who inspired all of these bass players, Jimmy Blanton. And Jimmy was uh, a little bit like Charlie Christian. He died very young before uh, um, he uh, was able to uh, uh, continue. But uh, we do hear him on these recordings. And on drums, Mr. Empire State, big tall man. Sonny Greer on drums. All of this stuff was recorded July 3rd, 1940, in Los Angeles. And uh, Mr. Stewart wrote three of the compositions. The first one was entitled Some Saturday. That opens the set. 
Then a Duke Ellington composition that had a, a, different, a few different titles, but uh, the original title of it was Subtle Slew. Then uh, uh, the third tune is a Rex Stewart uh, dedication to Haile Selassie, who, of course, was the um, king of Ethiopia at the time, a very respected um, and very regal figure. And he was, uh, Haile Selassie was known as Menelik, the Lion of Judah. And that is tune number three, dedicated to that great African gentleman. The final tune is my favorite of all the tracks on this, the, uh, and it's dedicated to um, an Ellington, a great Ellington musician, Bubber Miley, trumpet player who died um, early in uh, the uh, Ellington band. And uh, he was uh, considered one of the finest trumpet players of his day. His name was Bubber Miley, as I mentioned. And this, uh, the final piece of music, as I said, is my favorite. It's called Poor Bubber. So, Rex Stewart and company, and some small band swing. Once again, the personnel, Rex on cornet, Lawrence Brown, the deacon on trombone, Ben Webster, tenor saxophone, Harry Carney, baritone saxophone, Duke Ellington, piano, Jimmy Blanton on bass, and Sonny Greer on drums. And we open with Some Saturday.
Yeah. Tonight we're dealing a little bit with a small group swing. Small groups out of some of the most famous uh, big bands. And uh, in that case, all of these gentlemen came out of the Duke Ellington Orchestra of the time, and they were nominally led by the wonderful cornet player Rex Stewart. It was Rex Stewart and his orchestra, all recorded in Los Angeles on July 3rd, 1941. And we heard uh, three tunes, or four tunes, um, three of which were Rex Stewart compositions. And the people involved here, uh, Rex, of course, on cornet, Lawrence Brown on trombone, Ben Webster on tenor saxophone, Harry Carney on baritone saxophone, Duke Ellington at the piano, Jimmy Blanton on bass, and Sonny Greer on drums. And we opened with uh, a Rex Stewart composition called Some Saturday. And then we moved to a Duke Ellington composition called Subtle Slew. Then one of the masterpieces of the album, of the set, was uh, this composition dedicated to Haile Selassie, the uh, king, the emperor of Ethiopia uh, of, at the time. And he was referred to as Menelik, the Lion of Judah. And that was the title of the tune. Rex Stewart acknowledging uh, his African uh, roots. And the final tune was my favorite of all of them, uh, blues, entitled Poor Bubber dedicated to the late Bubber Miley, who was one of the early great trumpet players in uh, the Ellington aggregation. So Rex Stewart and uh, a small group out of the Ellington Orchestra. Now we turn to vibraphonist Lionel Hampton. And in a way, this is just a couple of years before Lionel Hampton formed his own band. But these tracks are so unique he did a whole series of um, dates for RCA Victor, and this was uh, almost a pioneering thing at the time. He was one of the first African-American leaders to sort of have carte blanche. Um, he had become, Lionel had become a big star with Benny Goodman, and of course his ebullient personality and, and his uh, musical abilities and his leadership abilities um, gave him, uh, the in, or gave RCA Victor, the people at, at Victor, Leonard Joy and Eli Oberstein, they, they were two producers there, uh, they offered Hampton basically a carte blanche that he could record for them and pick any musician he wanted to uh, to, 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 um, to record with. So Lionel did a whole series uh, over the years of small group swing uh, dates with um, musicians from Ellington's band, Goodman's band, uh, Basie's band, um, and just musicians that he he picked that weren't affiliated with any bands. And uh, these recordings are some of the very finest small group swing recordings. We're going to hear one session recorded April 14th, 1937, just three tunes. And a lot of the guys here are from... um, Duke Ellington's band. But we're going to hear Cootie Williams on trumpet, Lawrence Brown, uh, once again, the deacon on trombone, Johnny Hodges, who was one of the leading voices uh, in Ellington's band on alto saxophone, 
Jess Stacy on piano, one of my favorite swing era piano players. He was the pianist with Benny Goodman of the time. Alan Roos on rhythm guitar. John Kirby on bass, who went on to uh, be a band leader himself. And Cozy Cole on drums. And, of course, Lionel Hampton on vibes. And we're going to hear... We're going to hear him on vocal, too. So the first tune is a Lionel Hampton composition called Buzzin' Around with the Bee. The second tune is called Whoa, Babe. And both of these tunes have uh, little vocals by Lionel Hampton. And tune number three is my all-time favorite track from this era. And it's a composition by Hamp entitled Stompology. So here is some small group swing by Lionel Hampton and his All-Stars.
right, the Lionel Hampton All-Stars, all recorded April 14, 1937. Three tunes with Cootie Williams on trumpet, Lawrence Brown on trombone, Johnny Hodges on alto saxophone, Lionel Hampton leading the band on vibes and, of course, vocal, and Jess Stacy on piano, Alan Roos on guitar, John Kirby on bass, and the fabulous Cozy Cole on drums. All... Hampton Compositions. The first one was entitled Buzzing Around with the Bee. Second tune was entitled Whoa, Babe. And the third tune was my favorite track, Stompology. Our final small group out of a big band, I can't leave out Benny Goodman. And, of course, he had various um, small bands that came out of his big band. But... uh, One of the most important early groups was his quartet. And again, we're going to hear some Lionel Hampton on here because Lionel was a big part of the quartet. And that featured, of course, Mr. Goodman on clarinet, Lionel Hampton once again on vibes, Teddy Wilson on piano, and the great Gene Krupa on drums. And, of course, Goodman had lots of uh, small groups. Um, He had a, a trio without Hampton. Uh, Later on, he had a sextet, uh, various editions of the sextet. He always had small groups, and and these were where Benny Goodman really had his artistic um, outlet was really these small bands, although his big band was nothing to be ashamed of either. But uh, the the small bands were closer to the real jazz uh, feeling and and the the true meaning of, of jazz. Discipline and improvisation all rolled into one. So we're going to hear some selections by this amazing group, the Quartet. What a great chamber orchestra here. And the first tune was uh, written by Al Jolson, and it was a classic. Um, All of these were recorded in July and early August of 1937 in Los Angeles. First tune is Avalon, and uh, written by Al Jolson and Buddy De Silva. And the second tune is written by Fats Waller, Thomas Waller, and it's called A Handful of Keys. And then we're going to hear a ballad written by George and Ira Gershwin, which became a favorite of the quartet, The Man I Love. And then a great uh, old tune, one of my mother's favorite tunes, uh, written by Will Callahan, and it's called Smiles. There are smiles that make you happy, there are smiles that make you sad, etc., etc. And uh, the final tune of this set um, is a tune called Liza, written by Gus Kahn and Ira Gershwin and George. So we take you back to the music of the Benny Goodman Quartet for a few tunes, beginning with Avalon.
We heard the great Benny Goodman Quartet, one of the finest chamber groups ever, with Lionel Hampton on vibes, Teddy Wilson on piano, Gene Krupa on drums, and of course Mr. Goodman on clarinet. And we heard a variety of tunes, all recorded in uh, Hollywood in uh, the summer of 1937. We opened with Al Jolson's Avalon, then we moved to Fats Waller's great tune, The Handful of Keys. And then uh, a very pretty rendition of George and Ira Gershwin's The Man I Love. And then a tune by Will Callahan called Smiles. And the final tune was Gus Kahn's famous Liza, the Benny Goodman Quartet. We haven't quite finished with Benny Goodman. I'm going to play you one of my all-time favorite pieces by Benny. This was recorded a few years later in 1938. Well, not, not that much later. At the end of 1938, as a matter of fact, December 29th, 1938, in New York. And it's a, um, a group, it's a quintet, and it's Benny Goodman on clarinet and on piano, Teddy Wilson, on bass, John Kirby, and on drums, a very fine drummer named Buddy Schutz, who uh, played in the Goodman Band. And, of course, Mr. Goodman on clarinet. And this is a tune. Actually, it was titled for... Um, Benny had a, uh, grew up in a big family, nine brothers and sisters and so on and so forth. Most of them became musicians. Um, and one of his brothers opened a, a rib joint in New York where they sold barbecued spare ribs and, uh, and all that kind of cornbread and all that kind of stuff. And the, his establishment was called Pick a Rib. And that's what this tune is called. So it's dedicated to one of um, Benny's brothers, Pick a Rib. And uh, it stands as one of my all-time favorite Benny Goodman pieces and one of my all-time favorite pieces of music. So I have to play this for you and share it with you. So I hope you enjoy part one and part two of Pick a Rib.
Benny Goodman and his quintet. This is a, a great recording of Mr. Goodman and his hand-picked quintet with Lionel Hampton on vibes, Teddy Wilson on piano, John Kirby on bass, and Buddy Schutz on drums, and of course Mr. Goodman on clarinet. And I, I had to play that piece for you. Recorded December 29, 1938 in New York City. And that was called Pick a Rib, Part 1 and Part 2. And one of my all-time favorite pieces of music. So I hope you enjoyed it. And, of course, um, our show this evening really has been uh, a look back on some uh, great moments in small group uh, jazz before the advent of modern jazz in the mid-40s. And we heard, of course, uh, Artie Shaw, Lionel Hampton, Duke Ellington, and Benny Goodman. 
and uh, we're going to get back to some um, different music in a very few moments, but we have some uh, announcements and all kinds of things to uh, tell you about. Uh, before we do that, just like to remind you that you are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and of course, this is The Jazz Show, a regular feature every Monday night right here at CITR. And we'll be back in a very few moments right after these important messages. Want to know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca. of the classics with the twist. Join me, Marguerite, with Classical Chaos Sunday mornings starting at 9, right here on CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver, Canada. Uh, it's not pretty, it's not very good news this week for the weather, but uh, we'll tell you about it anyway. Uh, of course, um, tonight is cloudy and raining and windy and all that kind of stuff. You already know that. Low of 9 degrees. Actually, it's going to stay fairly warm. No more cold snap, but a lot of rain. Tomorrow, um, check this out. The rain will be ending in the morning, but then there's going to be 60% of uh, chance of showers the rest of the day, so it's really not going to be ending, despite the vagueness of the forecast. And it's also going to be windy, with a low of nine and a high of thirteen. That's tomorrow. Um, again, Wednesday is rain and windy, low of eight, high of ten. Uh, Thursday rain with a low of seven, high of eleven. Hey, it's getting tropical. A tropical rain in Vancouver. Yeah, right. And Friday is uh, showers with a low of seven and a high of nine. I guess that means uh, lighter rain. I don't know. Then Saturday and Sunday, periods of rain. Hey, we're back. And it's a low of three and highs between six and seven. So that's the um, rather gloomy forecast. But, uh, you know, uh, dance between the raindrops, singing in the rain, all that kind of stuff. You know, keep uh, keep your head up. It's uh, moving into the jolly season and uh, everybody's... You know, busy, running around, parties, all that kind of stuff, and events and all that. And, of course, uh, Santa Claus is going to have to wear a raincoat this year, I'm, I'm quite sure. Anyway, I'd just like to remind you of a couple of important websites before we get back to some music. Um, 
One of them, of course, is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. And these are the people that bring you the big jazz festival every year. And, of course, they work behind the scenes and uh, have all kinds of events throughout the year. These guys don't sleep. And, um, of course, uh, one of the nice ways to find out about what's going on with Coastal Jazz and Blues is to get on their website, which is coastaljazz.ca. And it's a very comprehensive link, all sorts of events, um, how to get tickets, very easy, and uh, schedules of events so you can plan uh, things ahead of time and maybe even give people Christmas presents. And, of course, um, they're behind uh, that uh, great venue on um, Beatty Street, uh, Frankie's Italian Kitchen, which, of course, is a jazz club now. And it's uh, all kinds of things are happening there. And, of course, the club is... uh, the music side of the club is managed by the ex-owner of the cellar, Corey Weeds, and uh, he'll be playing there this weekend, as a matter of fact. But um, you can find out the schedule by going on to the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, and they have all the events coming up at Frankie's. You can uh, get onto that link. And, of course, uh, another fine website to get onto is uh, Brian Nation's website, which is VancouverJazz.com. And there's all kinds of links on that particular site as well. So that's VancouverJazz.com and CoastalJazz.ca. And one last thing I always mention is my good friend Ken Speller. Ken lives in North Vancouver in the 13th and Lonsdale area. He is a music teacher. And if you're interested in uh, learning the clarinet, the flute, um, the saxophone, Ken's the guy to call. Music Lessons at Home. He comes to your house and um, gives you an hour or so, whatever, whatever is convenient for you, of his time, and will teach you how to play those instruments or upgrade whatever skills you may already have. Um, he's a very good teacher, but also he's a wonderful repairman, too, and he repairs these musical instruments, woodwinds, flutes, clarinets, saxophones, And he does it at the least expense because he has his home as his workshop. So he doesn't have the overhead of a store to work out of. And um, you just take your instruments over there and uh, or he'll come and pick them up, whatever, um, and repair them, get them into shape, whether they need a tweak, an overhaul or whatever. And depending on your status, whatever you are, amateur, uh, beginner, or a professional, um, he'll do it for you. So he can be reached at 778-800-1933, or kspeller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. That's his email, kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Dave Brubeck celebrated a birthday yesterday. December 6th, and of course, uh, he's been gone for about three years, and Mr. Brubeck, of course, made his mark um, on music. Dave Brubeck represented me, not only his, his music and, and, and his iconic status as a musician, but as a person as well. Dave Brubeck really represented to me a person who is the ideal American, 
um, he somehow he represented all the good things. We hear so many bad things now about America, uh, stuff that's being spewed on Fox News and, and, and some of the um, political parties, especially the Republican Party. Uh, you know, and, and of course, it's, you know, a lot of doom and gloom and all this kind of stuff. But Brubeck uh, somehow represented the um, an American person who represented the true ideals of America and um, lived a very, very honorable life and, of course, contributed so much to music. And uh, was a wonderful piano player, uh, innovator, and he was respected by everybody. You know, um, his band became very, very popular in the mid-50s, and he was on the cover of Time magazine and, and so on. He really felt that he didn't deserve it. But all the same, he, he, he achieved so many honors in, in his lifetime and, and played right in, into his um, old age as well. And uh, Brubeck was just a, a marvelous uh, um, person and, 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 and musician and really was a set the standard for, um, I guess, uh, just uh, honor and, and uh, artistic truth. Dave Brubeck was, was really something else. And uh, we're going to hear, here's a, a very rare recording. This is the very first thing he ever recorded. The very first thing. This is when he was a, a, a kid. And uh, this is just um, um, recorded, uh, happened to be recorded in a rehearsal hall at his alma mater, which was the uh, which was the College of the Pacific, which is now the University of Pacific in Stockton, California. And uh, there was a little recording machine in the practice room. And um, this, this is where this, this particular piece of music uh, came from. And it was recorded uh, in 1942. And Brubeck is going to play a, a great old standard tune uh, of the time called I Found a New Baby. And it was really his first recording. Then we're going to move to some great, uh, rare performances by his classic quartet. But here is this very early recording of Dave Brubeck. It's kind of a novelty, but it shows that even in 1942, uh, he would be at that time uh, 22 years old. And uh, here he is playing I Found a New Baby. Check it out. It's good.
Dave Brubeck, yeah. I mean, he could play <laughs> even in those uh, early days. Recorded uh, in the practice room at uh, his alma mater, the College of the Pacific. 22-year-old Dave Brubeck. He was uh, born in Stockton, December 6, 1920, and passed away a day before his birthday in 2012. And, of course, he is greatly missed. We're going to turn now to a very wonderful concert uh, of the Brubeck Quartet that was recorded again at the College of the Pacific, and now, of course, it's the University of the Pacific. And this features, um, this was done December 14th, 1953, and they put out already, there was one recording of this concert, five tunes, uh, and uh, called uh, Jazz at the College of the Pacific, and, of course, it's one of Brubeck's early classics. Several years later, many, many years later, they found more music from this concert and put it out on a, on a CD. And, of course, uh, these are wonderful performances from that same legendary concert. And what a find. It was uh, previously unreleased and um, very fine sound. And, of course, the quartet. At its, uh, at its early finest. Brubeck had just really opened the door to uh, playing jazz music in colleges, and, and uh, it was actually his wife, Iola, that suggested to Dave, because he was trying to get out of nightclubs. Um, a lot of the nightclubs, he liked a few of them, but a lot of them were kind of places where he really felt that he didn't want to play, to a bunch of drunks and noisy Noisy audience, people that were there that, that weren't into the music, just there to, to get drunk and, and, and get laid and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and he was kind of tired of that, and he was looking for a different. And his wife said, well, look, you're a graduate of university. This is an untapped source. Why don't you book the quartet, and I'll help you um, into a variety of concerts in, in universities. They did this. And, of course, one of the first early concerts was at his alma mater. And this is where this came from. And this was the beginning of Brubeck's real climb to fame. And, of course, uh, college audiences went nuts over the quartet in the, in the 50s. And uh, th this was really the, the first peak in Brubeck's career. And I happen to like this period of the, of the Brubeck Quartet. I like the rhythm section. Um, I love the drummer. Uh, Joe Dodge. This was his very first gig with the quartet. Um, so he has just started to play. He was with them for a couple of years. And uh, his position was taken later on by Joe Morello, who was a great, great drummer. But um, Joe Morello changed the sound of the quartet. I like, I like the quartet, this quartet with Joe Dodge playing drums. And the beautiful interplay between Brubeck's piano and Paul Desmond's alto saxophone. Um, this was kind of lost in later editions of the, of the Brubeck Quartet, but it's very evident here. So the, the people involved here, Brubeck, of course, Dave Brubeck on piano, Paul Desmond, one of the great voices of the alto saxophone, Ron Crotty on bass from San Francisco, and Joe Dodge on drums. And we're going to hear a bunch of tunes from here, beginning with uh, a great version of a tune called Crazy Rhythm, and then we're going to move to a tune uh, with some really interesting uh, uh, chord variations, a, a tune by Harold Arlen called Let's Fall in Love. And we'll go from there. 
some, uh, these are rare performances by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. So we begin with Crazy Rhythm.
some very rare Dave Brubeck from um, a famous gig that he played, and one album came out from, from this, only five tunes, but uh, years and years later, they discovered more from this uh, legendary concert done at uh, Brubeck's Alma Mater, and this was the uh, first concert that uh, the quartet ever played at uh, Brubeck's um, uh, uh, Alma Mater um, in Stockton, California. So it was kind of a special vibe and a special event um, because here was Dave sort of saying, well, here I am, and uh, this is what I do, <laughs> you know, to, uh, to all of his peers. And, of course, um, it was a very successful concert. And we heard some uh, choice tracks from uh, this previously uh, un- unreleased uh, segment of, um, of that concert. It's now uh, um, the University of the Pacific, but at, uh, back in Brubeck's day, it was the College of the Pacific in Stockton, where Brubeck was born in uh, December 6, 1920. And, of course, we're celebrating his birthday was yesterday. And, of course, he's been gone for three years, and he's sorely missed. This is a, a wonderful early edition of the Brubeck Quartet during their first real heyday, and... Um, this was uh, he. He was beginning to get uh, a lot of fame, and uh, and fortune. By the time this was recorded, December fourteenth, nineteen fifty-three, Brubeck on piano, Paul Desmond, of course, on alto saxophone, Ron Crotty on bass, and Joe Dodge on drums. And this was Joe's very first gig with the band. He had just replaced uh, Lloyd Davis on drums, and and came in and uh, played this concert. And, of course, he was uh, remained with the quartet for about two years before he was replaced by Joe Morello. But uh, Desmond always, Paul Desmond always maintained that um, Joe Dodge was uh, really his favorite drummer in the quartet. So uh, he, didn't, he didn't really talk a lot about that, but uh, that was in um, one of uh, Desmond's quotes. Anyway, we heard some great tunes. Crazy Rhythm was the beginning. Uh, the opening tune. Uh, the next tune was a Harold Arlen composition with some uh, different chords added by Dave Brubeck, and uh, uh, they played a tune called Let's Fall in Love. Then we moved to a tune that was a staple of the band, the fa- very famous uh, tune How High the Moon, and then one of Desmond's favorite tunes to improvise on, uh, Jerome Kern's The Way You Look Tonight. So uh, those four tunes... Uh, a little tribute to uh, the memory and the music of the great Dave Brubeck. Just like to remind you that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. We're going to move to a couple of tunes that feature the great and still living, he's 91, 92, Terry Gibbs. Um, vibes player. He's, uh, he's been around since the 1940s. Uh, he doesn't perform much anymore, but uh, he certainly is uh, very vibrant. He's written a book. Um, he's, he's on Facebook, <laughs> and, and he, uh, he makes some uh, salient comments because he really represents a very important part of jazz history and one of the great vibes players and band leaders um, of our time, Terry Gibbs. And uh, as I said, we're happy he's still with us. One of my favorite tenor saxophonists is here, Sal Nistico. Great, great player. Nat Pierce 
on organ, Turk Van Lake on guitar, Chuck Andrews on bass, and the great Jake Hanna. What a great, wonderful drummer, great Irishman, Jake Hanna on drums. And uh, all these compositions are by Terry Gibbs, and they feature Sal Nistico uh, prominently on tenor saxophone. So we begin with a tune called We Three, and we're going to move to another tune called Bathtub Eyes. And then uh, tune number three is called 7F. And we may go from there. This is great fun. Check them out. Thank you. 
Some music by vibist Terry Gibbs from an album called It's Time We Met. Terry Gibbs and tenor saxophonist Sal Mystico. And we heard Nat Pierce on the organ. Turk Van Lake keeping good time on guitar. Chuck Andrews on bass and the great Jake Hanna on drums. And all these compositions were um, by Terry Gibbs. And all of this was recorded in New York City in May of 1963. The tunes we heard, We Three, Bathtub Eyes, 7F, and the final tune was called Moving In. We're going to wrap up the show this evening. We'd like to tell you uh, next week on the jazz feature is an album by J.R. Monterose. J.R. Monterose, one of the uh, great unsung tenor saxophonists. He made an album for Blue Note Records, and he was the first Caucasian musician, actually, to uh, have his own recording on Blue Note. Blue Note usually featured African-American musicians, and in 1956, they gave J.R. Monterose uh, his own recording. And um, it's a classic, um, and it's going to be, it's a personal favorite of mine, so I'm, I'm sort of, uh, um, that's one of the reasons I'm going to play it. And gives, it'll give me a chance to rehear uh, an album that I grew up with. I know every note on the album, and uh, also share it with you and especially those of you that have never heard it before. So uh, that's what is going to be the jazz feature next week, and it's an album called simply J.R. Monterose. And uh, it has such people as Ira Sullivan, who plays great trumpet on it, Ira from Chicago, still alive, and uh, Horace Silver on piano, Wilbur Ware on bass, and the great Philly Joe Jones on drums. And it's one tough album, and it's a great portrait of uh, hard-driving New York jazz of the mid-50s. So uh, that's going to be the jazz feature next week. We'd like to wrap things up with two pieces of music from another very favorite album of mine that uh, came out in 1968, Bobby Hutcherson and Harold Land. Bobby Hutcherson, of course, is is still very much with us and uh, a great um, vibes player, He uh, evolved from Milt Jackson into his own very, very personal style. And he and Harold Land had a band together. Harold Land is from a slightly earlier generation of musicians and, of course, one of the great voices of the tenor saxophone. And they formed a band together, and, of course, they used different people in the rhythm section, whoever was available, uh, for gigs and for recordings and this sort of thing. But this is one of their finest recordings because the piano player on here is Chick Corea. Reggie Johnson is on bass and Joe Chambers on drums. And we're going to hear two tunes from here uh, from this album. It was recorded in New York July 12, 1968. And um, the two compositions by Bobby Hutcherson. Herzog is the first piece of music by Bobby. And the second piece of music is the album title track, and it's entitled, of course, Total Eclipse. And it was, uh, as I mentioned before, issued on Blue Note Records, and it's a a latter-day classic. So we're going to close the show with this and these selections. So I hope you enjoy Harold Land and Bobby Hutcherson. Thank you. 
Well, I have to backtrack a little bit because uh, the, the uh, disc that I have has been mislabeled. This is from um, a similar recording session, but not with Harold Land. It's with the great and still living James Spaulding, and we heard him on flute and alto saxophone. And, of course, Bobby Hutcherson on vibes, Stanley Cowell on piano, Reggie Workman on bass, and Joe Chambers on drums. And that's from an album uh, from the same vintage as the one I announced, but um, with, of course, different personnel. And it's called, the album was uh, one of those ones that was in the Blue Note catalog, but not released until the early 80s, long after it was recorded. It uh, actually was, was done in 1968. The album is called Patterns, and uh, we heard two compositions um, first one was by Bobby Hutcherson called Patterns, and the second one was called Irina, and that was by drummer Joe Chambers, and of course a, a very fine ensemble and, and band. So um, it wasn't uh, the album that I initially said it was, but close, close, but no cigar. <laughs> Miss uh, CD has been mislabeled, That's, that, that was the problem. All right. So that's it for the jazz show. Certainly hope that uh, you came along for some of it and uh, enjoyed the music. And we'll be back in a week's time with uh, some more great jazz. And again, our jazz feature next week is the unsung, wonderful tenor saxophonist, very muscular player, J.R. Montrose, uh, from his uh, one and only album on Blue Note Records. And it's a classic and a personal favorite of yours truly. So we'll be hearing that on the jazz feature next week. So uh, do drop by, and uh, thank you very much for being out there. On behalf of myself, Gavin Walker, and The Jazz Show on CITR, FM 101.9, broadcasting right out here at the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam territory. We're also on the web, www.citr.ca, and we shall return in one week's time. Seven days, um, next Monday night, right at 9 o'clock. Take care. Bye for now. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the rain. See ya. Do but do.
Ha <laughs> ha 